The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with such a bewildering variety of topics that your head may actually spin completely off of your neck. Proceed at your own risk. Welcome to another episode of the Stephen or Else podcast, the show that reads like it eats. Form your own conclusion there. I'm your host, Stephen, and this week I'm wrapping up March. So what does that mean? Well, here's the deal, folks. I spend a lot of time, my reading habits lately are, I can't read this comic book unless I'm going to read it for the show because I don't have time to just be reading for fun. That's insanity. Who reads for fun anymore when they have a podcast that they have to prepare for? Because the fact of the matter is I am a busy fella. And what I've been reading for the show lately have been collections, right? Because I'm a guy without a lot of money. What I have is a subscription to Comixology Unlimited and a library card. And I use that to read my comics. And so I get a lot of trades. And so I read a lot of collections. And so I have each episode is about a particular collection I've read. But there's a lot of books that I read that are smaller collections or they're made up of more single issue type stories, you know, done in one type stories, uh, especially the older books that I've been reading. So I'll read, for example, last week I did Craven's Last Hunt. So I'll read Craven's Last Hunt. And then I'm done and I've got a whole other week to go before the next episode. And I am worried when I start reading, well, I'm going to read a couple issues here and there, but no, 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 no. That's going to dilute your mind, man. It's going to dilute your mind. You're not going to be ready for the next show. You got to have time to read the next collection. So here's what I've decided to do. When I'm, when I have time, I will read these other issues. Uh, I also, guess what? Read regular books as well. I don't like calling them regular books. Prose books, books without pictures. You know what I'm talking about. And so I figured what I would start doing is at the end of the month, the last episode of the month, I would do a month-end wrap-up in which I just talk about all the other stuff that I read or watched during that month. And instead of going kind of in-depth in the episodes, it's just all going to be right off the top of the old head, except, of course, for the notes that I made that uh, talks about who made these books, because I'm never going to remember any of that stuff. So anyway, that's what your month-end wrap-up is, and this is for March of 2019. So first topic on the schedule for today, I just want to talk a bit about the diet, little diet update. I'll probably do this each week, just deal with it. I lost 4.2 pounds over the last week. I am down 8.8 pounds so far during this whole dieting thing. That's three weeks. That's not bad for three weeks. My goal is to have dropped uh, 50 pounds by the end of July. That's my first goal. That's goal number one. And so far, as long as I don't get all crazy, I am on target to meet that goal. And it's not an easy thing to do. I'll tell you what, right now, if you've never done this, you, if you've, if you are already born with a great metabolism and you're already in good shape 
and you don't have to work on it too much. Well, good for you. We're all very happy for you. But some of us have to work on it. And some of us have to completely change their lifestyle. And what that means is no longer eating a lot of the foods that I love. The foods that for many years, such as the donuts and the cheesecake and the bread, I have had a love affair, a torrid love affair with these foods for decades. And I've had to just completely walk away from them, turn my back on them, leave them standing crying in the rain saying, why, Stephen, why? Well, I have to think about me. I can't think about you. I can't think about the donuts and the cheesecake and the bread. I can't. I have to think about me. But just know this, good foods that are still out there, I still love you. Last year, last, uh, I was, it, it would have been, um, would have been in the fall. We backed a Kickstarter campaign. It was the first Kickstarter campaign I've ever backed. I did it for Palin, uh, because it was a birthday present. And we backed the Aquabats Kickstarter campaign. The Aquabats are, are coming back in a big way. And, uh, they were just, they were raising money to record some new albums and put out some new shows. And so we backed that Kickstarter. And just recently we got our first couple of rewards, which was a soundtrack to the TV show and a live album. So if you're not really aware of who the Aquabats are, let me try to explain because this does have something to do with the show. The Aquabats are a band that formed back in, I think, 94 in California. And they had a a theme. They were a, a group of superheroes that rocked. That was their theme. And they started out as a ska band. They're not a, they're not really a ska band anymore. They kind of their sound has has evolved over the years. But along with their theme of being superheroes, they also basically they pretended as if they were a kids show. They were superheroes on a kids show. So all their music has always been family friendly and. I first heard about the Aquabats through Bill on Half Hour Wasted. He was talking about the Aquabats a number of years ago. And I thought, well, that sounds slightly interesting. And then totally forgot all about it. And then the first season of the Aquabat Super Show showed up on Netflix a few a couple of years back. And I decided to give it a try. And the the kids sat down with me and watched it. And we we all just fell in love. It is uh how do they put it? They describe it as HR Puffin stuff meet the Power Rangers. It's very cheesy as far as, you know, it's very low budget, cheesy, funny. The 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 Aquabats themselves are not actors. They had to take coaching. They they had to have an acting coach and take lessons and whatnot. But it's it only adds to the wonderfulness of this show. That's how great it is that the budget is low and the main characters aren't great actors. And so not long after that, I was, uh, I got a trial subscription to Amazon music 
and I used that to uh, give their music a try because I looked them up. At that point, I didn't realize how long they had been a band when we started watching the Super Show. I just thought I would I would check them out, and I went onto Wikipedia and found out that they've been a band since '94. They were playing clubs in California at the time that I was playing clubs in Kansas when I was in a band. And I don't know if they ever came to Kansas. I'm assuming they didn't. Um, you know, a lot of bands that reached a certain level that weren't, you know, famous MTV radio bands, they would still reach a certain level and they would tour across the country. And eventually they would hit Lawrence, Kansas, because Lawrence, Kansas is a college town. That's where Kansas University is. Uh, but I don't remember the Aquabats ever. If they did, I probably dismissed it. I'd never heard of them before. But I have to feel that if I if they had come to town and I had saw them back then, I would have been a fan uh, since the 90s. But anyway, never that never happened. Anyway, so I get this subscription to Amazon Music and I start checking out their their albums and I just fall deeper in love with the Aquabats. And eventually the subscription runs out, so I start buying their music. And uh, yeah, Aquabats, I love them. And so recently, when I started the podcast, I was reaching out to musicians, uh, mainly the nerdcore folks. Uh, MC Frontalot, Michael Kill, Adam Warrock, Beefy, Kirby Crackle, and just asking them, hey, do you mind if I play clips of your songs on my show? I like to try to break up my my talk since I'm a single host podcast I like to break up my my talking uh every 15 minutes or so with just a little bit of music and all of them said yes and I want to play some aquabats music on the show as well now I could I mean there's nothing stopping me but technically it's not legal for me to do so without their permission that hasn't stopped me before with for some reason if I want to throw in, like what I did earlier, a bigger named band, I don't seem, I mean, I'm, I get nervous about that, but it doesn't bother me as much if I'm doing it for uh, a more of an independent type group. And so I went on their website. I couldn't find any contact information. I follow them on Twitter. So I, I tweeted at the band a few times, never got any response. Over a week ago, because not only do I follow the band on Twitter, I follow some of the members that are also on Twitter. And a couple of them have followed me back. So I direct messaged one of them uh, pleading my case, and I haven't heard back yet. I have to assume those guys are busy. I don't really see them tweeting all that much. But I really want to play their I really want to I really want to play their music on the show, but I want to do it with their permission. And so if anybody out there who's listening to me right now, has any way to contact the Aquabats, please let me know if it's something that you can do on my behalf or if there's something that you can give me that is a direct line to the Aquabats, I would appreciate it. I'm going to try Twitter a couple more times to the other guys that I follow and see uh, if I get some response there. But if I don't get any response, I'm just not going to play their music. That's just the way it is because I'm not going to I'm not going to do that. But I would love to play their music because I love that band. So I watch a lot of sitcoms on the Hulu, on the streaming services, because I find that they're easier to fall asleep to. I never used to fall asleep to TV, but over the last 10 years or so, I found myself falling asleep to TV a lot. And I, of course, have come to need to fall asleep to TV. 
And I find the sitcoms are better, especially sitcoms that I have seen over and over and over again in syndication. Stuff like Friends, Wings, you know, I can watch those and fall asleep and not worry about, oh, I'm going to miss something and I'm going to have to go back and rewind and find out where I left off. So recently, because uh, I went through I went through Friends and I went through Frasier and I went through Cheers and I went through Wings and just a bunch of a bunch of sitcoms. And just recently I started going through some of the Britcoms and Spaced is one that I have watched a number of times. So I'd been falling asleep to Spaced. Of course, with the British comedies, their seasons or series are only about six episodes, and there aren't that many series or seasons out there. So Spaced, for example, had two. And on Prime, they call them seasons because that's what we call them here in America. And so I watched those two seasons, and now I'm watching Black Books. And I can't think of the name of the guy who's in Black Books, the main dude who plays Bernard Black, and uh, his, his, uh, his friend and co-worker, Manny, played by Bill Bailey. And so that's been a lot of fun. I use I have seen Black Books a, a, a few times. Again, this is stuff that I have watched many times before, and now I'm just falling asleep to because it's there. But Black Books, I, I keep, it's been a while. So the next night when I sit down to watch, I do rewind back to where I left off. But that's a really funny show. If you're into the British comedy and you have not seen Black Books, I do recommend it. Bernard Black owns a bookstore called Black Books. He is a uh, he's a drunkard. He's a he's just a curmudgeon. He is a very antisocial person. The only reason he has opened a bookstore is because he just wants a place to hang out and read all day long. And he understands that he has to make money off of it. Just having a customer come into the store just pisses him off. Just pisses him off to no end. And he doesn't want them in there. And he does everything he can to get them out of the store and maybe hopefully never coming back. Manny, on the other hand, is kind of this wide-eyed, happy-go-lucky type of guy. Also uh, into the wine. They're both big wine drinkers. Same with their friend, Fran, who ran a shop next door and now where I'm at in the show no longer does. But they're all big wine drinkers. And uh, Manny is always trying to come up with ways to help the store make money which just annoys Bernard to no end. But at the same time, Bernard is, he, uh, he keeps Manny around because I think deep down he really likes him. But also Manny can interact with the customers, whereas he doesn't have to. Though often he does just simply because a customer will come into the store and ask for a particular book. And that's just something you don't do. And that's just something you don't do in that bookshop. If you engage in Bernard in any way, you're asking for trouble. I have also been reading, I got a really good deal on a Conan book. It's a collection of Robert E. Howard's short stories, uh, his Conan short stories, and I got it on Kindle for 99 cents. And I've only read the first one so far, which is The Frost Giant's Daughter, and I've started The Tower of the Elephant, or The Elephant's Tower, Now I can't remember what it is. But I had never read any Conan before. I've only read the comics, I feel like I had, I know I had some old Conan books, some old weathered Robert E. Howard Conan paper book, paperbacks, and I know they're up in the attic somewhere, and I know I need to go up and look for them, 
but it just sounds like a lot of work because I got to go up some stairs and it's, it's creepy up in the attic. It's creepy up there. I try to avoid it whenever I can, but sometimes I don't have a choice. For example, when I go, when I have to get some comics to give away to my Pie in the Sky members who win their stack of comics each month from the Patreon, I have to go up there and grab some comics. So I do that for you folks, but I don't like it up there. It's creepy. Anyway, I've, I had at one point Robert Jordan who wrote the Wheel of Time series, who died writing the Wheel of Time series, I should say, because he never finished it. Uh, thankfully, he had copious notes and Brandon Sanderson was able to come in and finish it all out. He had written some Conan before Eye of the World. And I think I had read some of his Conan, but I don't. I know I had some. I just don't remember if I liked it or not. And I went into these Robert E. Howard stories with a little trepidation because I know they're classics. And I know that they're famous, but they're also old. And sometimes the older classics can be a little trying. They can be a little, a bit of a slog. But man, these so far, like I said, I'm only a story and a half into the book. But they're really good. He goes, he's very descriptive, but his descriptions I don't want to sound pretentious, but his descriptions are very poetic. They really help you feel what's going on. The smell, the look, the taste of a room. The opening of the Tower of the Elephant opens in this tavern. And he's got like four or five paragraphs just describing the atmosphere of this tavern. And you feel like you're there by the end of it. And never at any time during those opening paragraphs did I act in any way. Okay, we get it, Mr. Robert E. Howard, author guy. We get it. We understand the tavern is the way it is. Just get to the story already. He had me. The flow of the language, he had me. And so I've been reading. I've been reading that as I can. I don't, I don't read enough prose as I used to, but, uh, because I'm reading all these comics, but I do, I do try to fit that in every once in a while. Okay. So speaking of comics, we've talked about TV. We've talked about books. We've talked about music. Let's talk some comics. What is your favorite thing in the world? Comics. Yes. Comics! No, 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 wait, tell about comics. Comics! All right, I have a number of comics topics for you today. Some old, some new. How about we just get into them, shall we? Hmm. So I have a trade uh, called Spider-Man Team-Up. Not Spider-Man team up, Spider-Man Marvel team up. I act. This is a physical book. I'm gonna. That's me waggling the book. I got this from the library, and it's the uh, Chris Claremont, John Byrne issues of Marvel team up, featuring Spider-Man. 
It does not have all of them. It skips the issue in which he teams up with Red Sonia, which was kind of a disappointment to me. I understand it because Marvel no longer owns Red Sonia, but I really want to read that issue because it ties in to two issues of X-Men that I talked about a while back. Beyond that, though, it's a, it's so far, it's really good. I, I'm not all the way through it. I've read issues 59, 60, and 61, and I'm partway through 62. But the thing I think I like the most about it is the way each issue flows into the other. Because while they are, in essence, somewhat, well, they're not one and done. So far, they've been two-parters. For example... Issue 59, it's Spider-Man teaming up with Yellow Jacket and the Wasp. And they are going up against Equinox, the thermodynamic man, who is part fire, part ice. And it and it changes. The upper bot upper portion of his body will be fire, the lower port lower portion will be ice, and then back and forth. And so he shoots fire, he shoots ice, and he's a bit insane. And we we learn that he's not the original Equinox, the thermodynamic man. He This dude was created uh, on accident by his father doing wacky experiments in the basement. And his mother, who is also a scientist, uh, that, who is separated from his father, she thinks she knows how to fix him. And so she gets involved at one point. But But basically, the dude is just rampaging in New York. And Spider-Man is just, he's just swinging through the city and the dude just attacks him for no good reason. We don't know who it is. All we know is he's hit with ice and then he's hit with fire and he falls into the river. And we're supposed to assume, oh my goodness, Iceman and the Human Torch have teamed up against Spider-Man. Or maybe it's Iceman and Firestar and this is Spider-Man and his amazing friends. But this is witnessed by Yellow Jacket and the Wasp, Hank Pym and Janet, Janet Pym. They are living together, of course, because they're married. Married people live together, folks. And even if they weren't married, wake up. It was the late 70s. So they witness what happens to Spider-Man. They, they, they grab him out of the river, take him back to the apartment, and... uh Equinox comes to the apartment to, for some reason, he's got it really bad for Spider-Man. They don't really explain why. He's just decided, I'm going to kick Spider-Man's butt. Uh, I think that's what I'm going to do today. Let's see. I got up. I had a banana. I uh, had, a, had, a, had, a, had some, some bran because I like to stay regular. And uh, now I'm going to go kill Spider-Man. So Spider-Man and the Wasp and Yellow Jacket, they fight Equinox. And then at the end of the issue, uh, it appears that Equinox murders Yellow Jacket. So then issue 60 is Marvel team-ups featuring Spider-Man teaming up with the Wasp. They end up at the Baxter building because they meet up with this scientist lady who has this big uh, gun that she created that is supposed to fix Equinox. It doesn't. Spider-Man being the genius he is, he says, well, let's here, let's go to the Baxter building. We'll, uh, Reed will help us. Of course, the Fantastic Four aren't there, but with Janet's Avengers credentials, they get in. They Spider-Man 
does something to the gun to make it work. And then they go up against Equinox. We find out Yellow Jacket is alive. They win. Janet and and uh, Yellow Jacket move on with their lives. They go home. And then out of nowhere, this big orange Rocky fist punches Spider-Man. And we go into the next issue, which is Spider-Man teaming up with the Human Torch versus the Super Scroll. As they were in the Baxter building, they disturbed something that had the Super Scroll in it, and the Super Scroll got loose. The Human Torch is taken out during that issue, which then leads into issue 62, and Ms. Marvel shows up to help Spider-Man. Anyway, I like how we're four issues in, and really it's the same day so far. I mean, all this crap has been... Spider-Man's just swinging through the city. Equinox. And then the Super Scroll. Bam. And uh, so, yeah, really fun. It's pre-X-Men, I believe, uh, but John Burns pencils have never looked better. Let me see uh, who, if we can see. Well, he had a number of inkers. Dave Hunt, Bob Wyasek, Richard Villamonte, Tony DeZaniga, and Al Gordon. But we have Tigra coming up, Thor, the Man-Thing, Captain America, Iron Fist, Power Man, Havoc. And let's see, some of the villains we're going to go up against here are the Steel Serpent, We've already done Equinox and the Super Scroll, Arcade, Craven, Despair, and the Living Monolith. Yeah, this is a good book. Playback of a mind a million times See the same things, review the same lines It's cold, I just need to move around some words Respectable change of a game The ground I lost at first Worst is yet to come, hear it in my head Lately in the morning, I don't really wanna get out of bed Instead of rather let it all fade away Let my friends all leave Better if they don't stay okay I guess you had a point when you said that I was probably wrong about feeling like I'm better off dead Sort of starting to wish I'd slip off to sleep Instead of walking around pretending like I still feel anything It's getting really old, wearing the same mask I remember my sense of humor so I still force myself to laugh My last thoughts before I finally started up the bad dreams I'm starting to doubt I'm even really trust me Is that you? Was that me? Lately it feels like it's a struggle for me to even bother to speak It's been a long week, it's been a long week It's been a long week, it's been a long is that you? Was that me? Lately it feels like it's a struggle for me to even bother to speak It's been a long week, it's been a long week It's been a long week, it's been a long Like I also read Stumptown Volume 1 This is an Oni Press book that was created by Greg Rucka and Matthew Southworth Greg Rucka wrote it The art and letters were by Matthew Southworth The colors were by Lee Luffridge I read this on it, I'll be honest with you First of all, I love Greg Rucka. Uh, I haven't read a lot of Greg Rucka's comics. I've read some. I've read more of his novels. His Atticus, Atticus Kodiak books are really good, at least the ones that I've – I don't think I've read all – here's the thing. Because I when I, I looked up just to see what kind of information they had about this book on Wikipedia, and Stumptown is set in the same universe as the Atticus Kodiak books – 
but the only way you'd know that is that they share minor characters. And it's been so long since I've read any of the Atticus Kodiak books that I don't recognize. I didn't, none of the characters stood out to me. So first and foremost, I love Greg Rucka. That's not really why I picked the book up because I've known about this book for a while. I think it came out after I had stopped reading comics. So I would hear about it, but I never read it. But of course they announced recently that they are creating, that they're doing a pilot for a possible show for M for uh, MTV. I almost said MTV. I'm glad it's not MTV. MTV is supposed to only be about music. They need to stop with this whole never playing music anymore. I think it's sad. Yes, I'm going on a tangent. I think it's sad that a station, a, a channel like MTV has to create a second channel to play music because their main channel no longer does it. Is that other channel even out there? Granted, I understand that nowadays, if you want to watch a music video, you just go on YouTube. But there's there's just something better about going. Okay, think about it this way. All right. So imagine it's this. Okay, so you compare MTV to radio. So if you want to listen to your favorite music, you can just pick up your iPod or your phone and start playing the album that you like. With music video, you've got to go to YouTube and search for the artist and search, you know, search for the, I don't know. To me, it just seems like a lot of steps. Now, granted, if you're just watching MTV, you're not going to necessarily see the music that, that, you, that you want to watch. But that's not the point. That's kind of the point of MTV. And, and that was kind of the point of radio. Radio is different nowadays. It used to be you could listen to the radio and discover music that you'd never heard before. Um Radio now, top 40 is, 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 it's not like it used to be. Anyway, a lot of the music that I listened to for a long time, I discovered because I watched MTV. Because you could just sit down and just watch MTV and a music video would come on and you'd go, I've never heard of this song before. Who is this group? What is this artist? I, this is awesome. And if you liked a certain style of music, you had Yo! MTV Raps, you had Headbangers Ball, and I was always discovering new things on MTV that I wasn't getting anywhere else. But then I live in Kansas. Okay, so let's get beyond that and back to Stumptown. So they're doing a pilot for ABC, and they cast Kobe Smolders in the part of Dex Perios. Dex Perios is the main character of Stumptown. Kobe Smolders is, of course, Robin Shabatsky from How I Met Your Mother and uh, Maria Hill from the Avengers movies. So Stumptown, it's, it's, a private, it's, a, it's a private investigator story. It's a crime story. Dex Perios, is a, is a prime, she's a private investigator. She's got a gambling problem. A, a, a woman who runs a casino that she owes a lot of money to tells her that she's going to wipe her debt clean, but she wants her to find her granddaughter. So she goes to find her granddaughter. And in the middle of that, she is um, confronted by kind of a local crime boss who basically tells her, look, all I want you to do is to keep doing what you're doing because I want to find her too. And so you just keep doing what you're doing, but you come to me when you find her and I'll give you a bunch of money. And of course, you don't want to do that for a crime boss. And so she doesn't. But you know what? There's, there's really not much more I can tell without giving anything away because it 
it's a pretty basic story. Find the girl, find out why the girl is missing, and uh, make sure that the girl doesn't go missing again. That's the story. And it, but it was really good. The art is very, it fits the theme of the book. I think if the art was used for much of anything else, if it was for a superhero book, it wouldn't work. It was very, um, I want to say Michael Lark. Is that the guy I'm thinking of? Kind of Sean Phillips. It's kind of that style. And it works really well for Stumptown. And I really enjoyed it. I really did. And there are other volumes out there. I got this, of course, on Comixology Unlimited. I didn't see any other volumes on Comixology Unlimited. So I'll see if they've got them for, uh, at the, on the Hoopla app for me to check out through my library. Cause I, I do want to keep reading this. But of course, as I was reading it, I was reading it knowing that they were going to make this show or at least the pilot and that it was going to star Kobe Smolders. And so I was reading that with that thought in mind and could totally picture her playing this part. And I'm now even more excited for the show. I wasn't, I was like, Oh, cool. They're going to make a show called Stumptown about a comic book that I've never read starring uh, Robin Scherbatsky. That's pretty cool. But now I'm like, all right, I can't wait to watch this show. I don't know why I did that voice at all. All right. Two more books I want to talk about. The next one is a classic going all the way back to 1982 Marvel Comics, G.I. Joe, a real American hero, issue number one. One. Another cold winter, but I'm back to burn. Everybody got an eagle that I'm about to hurt. I give it a cold shoulder like a love of sperm. But I get it a Betty and your respect is earned. Spun a couple records, now the tables turn. Spit it on your fables, now the lessons learned. Graveyard shift, digging up my past. Held on to my stomach until I got the last laugh. Held my hands, white knuckles to the whole crash. Now a day stack, but it can't get the cash. Acid bath, cannonball, make a splash. Pissing off old homies like a dame and dash. Understand we get the joke You got some losers in a haze of smoke I was there at the start and I'm ready to blaze for folks Your first mistake was that you ever spoke <laughs> Think that's funny? It's a funny What are you in? Singing and dancing The story of weed, sex, murder Parts of that old life I'm just like that I recently discovered that all of the G.I. Joe classics trades are available through Comixology Unlimited. I am so excited about that. The first comic book I ever bought, or I should say was bought for me because my dad bought it, was a G.I. Joe book. And it was in the 20s, I think. Um, it was up there a bit because it would have been 83, 84 probably at that point. But of course, this is a collection that is put out by IDW because they own the property now. And it's funny because they have the covers to the original issues in the trade, but there's a little strip across the top of the cover, which if you look at it online, you see it says Marvel Comics, but the strip is still there in the IDW collection. They've just removed where it says Marvel Comics. 
All right, so this, like I said, came out in January of 1982. Not just 1982, the beginning. I mean, it might as well have been 1981. It was written by Larry Hama, pencils by Herb Trempe, who just did, uh, I just did an, an issue of Captain America from, from the 80s on my other podcast that was done by Herb Trempe. Inks Bob McCloud, who also inked that Captain America book. And I couldn't remember, I didn't know how to pronounce the guy's name, but thanks to John Wimmer. Thank you, dude. I now can pronounce it. Colors by Glennis Ween, letters by Jim Novak, and the editor was Tom DeFalco. These are, these names here, Herb Trempe, Bob McLeod, Glennis Ween, Jim Novak, Tom DeFalco. I'm reading a lot of old books, a lot of old Marvel books right now. Uh, Avengers, you know, Captain America, X-Men, blah, blah, blah. A lot of these names keep popping up, as I guess they would. Why wouldn't they? I don't know. So the issue is called Hot Potato. And it was a done-in-one story. A woman who was apparently tricked into creating a doomsday device for the American government. She's on a train. She was a... I don't... They don't really go into a lot of detail, but she created this thing. Um, I don't know what she thought she was working on. Maybe she was just working on a small part of the project. Maybe something that she invented was in, integral to whatever this doomsday device was. But she finds out at one point that what she's working on is a device that could destroy all life on the planet. And at that point, she's like, hold on a moment. I thought I was making a taco maker. I thought I was building a better lawnmower. I thought I was working on a longer lasting light bulb. But no, I'm creating a device unbeknownst to me. I'm just working on something that in the end will destroy all life on the planet. Uh, maybe I should take a step back for a moment and really think this through. And so she's on a train. She has secret service with her. She's giving a press conference. I don't remember where she was going. I know that she is. She just, she decided to stop working for the American government. They don't actually, they don't really say that she was creating this for the government. And yet the government, but the government's helping her. She assumes she was making it for the government, but the government's helping to protect her because now she has the secrets in her head to create a device that could destroy all known life on the universe in, in on the planet, which still just boggles my mind. I can understand if she was working on the key component. I don't know. They, I said they didn't explain how she could be working on a doomsday device and not realize it. So anyway, Cobra, of course, captures her, takes her back to Cobra Island, and they have to enlist, the government has to enlist the help of their special Delta Force, codenamed G.I. Joe, to get her back. And it was really, oh, I really like this book. Here's the funny thing. Back when I was collecting comics in the 90s, I, you know, I was getting a subscription of G.I. Joe for a long time in the 80s. And once I started to make my own money and was buying comics myself, I would go to comic book stores and go through the back issues. And I was trying to get all the back issues of the G.I. Joe run that I didn't have. And I would even, if I was out of state, I would make these business trips for my dad who had this side hustle going on. And I would go in and, into uh, Kentucky and Tennessee. And anytime I was in a new city, 
and I'd go to the hotel and I'd sit down and I'd open up the yellow pages and I'd find a comic book store and I'd go there and I would look for issues of GI Joe and whatnot. So I know I have, I feel like, I don't know if I ever owned issue number one. I don't think I ever did. I do know, however, that I have checked out G.I. Joe Classics Volume 1 at least twice over the last decade, and I never got past the the scene on the train. Never got past it. That's like the first three pages. For some reason, never completed just reading issue number one. And I, I'm reading it this time, and I finish it, and I cannot fathom. It is not clicking in my head. Why did I not ever finish this issue because it was so much fun. The art looked amazing. Herb Trimpey on that Captain America issue that I talk about in a podcast that you only have access to if you are a uh, member of the Patreon. The art there looked good. It looks so much better here. There is one panel of Scarlet Witch that maybe I'll put up on the Instagram at some point after this episode goes out. That's just It's just a simple panel and she just looks beautiful. It's just a great, it's just great art all the way through the issue. So, and the story was fun. And there are some portions in the story that I'm like, whoa, what's going on in this G.I. Joe book? For example, after the woman gets kidnapped by Cobra, th- these two generals are talking. One of them is General Flag, who's apparently a young guy, and then an older general. And the older general is telling General Flag that not only has it hit the fan, it is covered the fan something to that effect and i'm like dude you're talking about poop (laughs) that's kind of gross not only you're you're basically saying poop didn't just hit the fan poop is covering it's dripping off the fan (laughs) that's not something i would have picked up as a kid but i read that and i dude you're talking about human excrement covering a fan i understand the 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 expression that the insert naughty word here, hits the fan. I get it. It just seemed out of place for some reason in a G.I. Joe. Now, they didn't use the they didn't use the, uh, the curse word at all. He said, not only has it hit the fan, it's covering the fan or something to that effect. And But knowing that what he was talking about was poop, I just thought, whoa, General, you just took it to a level it didn't need to go. There are also comments within the issue during the story where... At somebody on the G.I. Joe team, uh, maybe it was General Hawk, was the first one who says it. Because Cobra kidnaps this woman and basically says, look, you give us a bunch of money or we're going to kill her. And General Hawk's like, well, you know, she's got the secrets to a doomsday device in her head. Maybe letting them kill her isn't the worst thing in the world that we could let happen. Scarlet at one point wonders why they don't just put one in her head. <laughs> I don't know, I just... It just, these are not the toys that I grew up with. And I knew that based on the the G.I. Joe's comics that I read when I was getting them, I knew that they were not like the cartoon. I knew that. They eventually became kind of cheesy. But for some reason, I just found that refreshing on this issue. Anyway, I loved it so much that I think maybe I will do some spotlight episodes on G.I. Joe, kind of like what I'm doing now with the death of Superman. You know, I had the whole stupid idea of a Superman month, but now I'm doing them once a month until I get through the four trades. I may do that with G.I. Joe as well, because I could do the comics. I could do the cartoon. I could do the animated movie. 
that's something that is now spinning around in the back of my head. So maybe that's something we'll get at some point in the future. All right. to talk about before we wrap it all up and I'll send you on home grumble number five this is the newest this is the only book the only current book that I read and I read it because of Mike Norton and because I wanted to see what he was up to lately and I saw some preview pages and I thought it looked really interesting and I checked out the first issue and fell in love but it's not just Mike Norton that makes this book great it's written by Rafer Roberts. Marissa Louise, does, do, she's coloring it. The colors are great. Crank with an exclamation point is on letters. And the editor is Alejandro Arbona. So this is from Albatross Funny Books. And so far it tells the story of a, of a girl named Tala. She has come to find this man named Eddie, who may or may not be her father. She is part demon. Her, father, her grandfather, full demon, married a human woman, I believe. They don't really go into that. So her mother is like half demon, and then she'd be like a third or something. Um, something has happened to her mother. She needs to find Eddie to help her mother, and she finds him. He is uh, double-crossing a an imp, basically. A, a, he's kind of a crime boss kind of guy. And so they're on the run from this guy and Eddie decides to take a potion to change himself into a pug so that he can avoid detection. But then when he tries to take the counter potion to turn himself back, it doesn't work. So throughout this book, he's a pug. He's a walking, talky talk, you know, he can talk like a human. He walks upright, but he's a pug. And not only are they trying to get away from the imp, this crime boss, there's also this interdimensional magic mystical race of creatures hunting her. Well, issue number five tells us what happened to her mom and tells us truly why she went to find Eddie. And I, I hit, I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but I hit that last page and I just went, Ooh, I mean, it's so good. This is a great book. I am not reading current books, as I said. I think the newest 
book that I read was the first trade of the Immortal Hulk. That's the newest thing I've read recently. I'm reading uh, the first trade to Green Lantern, Green Lantern. I keep saying that. Green Arrow Rebirth. That's one of the newest things I've read recently. Grumble is a new book. Not only does it look beautiful, I don't like to, uh, and not that I, I don't, I, I'm not going to say this because I'm saying I want him off of Grumble. As far as I'm concerned, if they do this book for the next 10 years and it stays this good, I'll be happy. But if for some reason this book ends, I would really like to see Mike Norton on some more superhero stuff. There is an element of John Byrne to his art. There's obviously others in there. And it's not that his art, it's not that anybody looking at his art might just go, oh, well, he's just copying John Byrne. But I I get, I feel John Byrne when I look at his art. And maybe it's more the sequential storytelling, you know, over the art style itself. He does have a classic style. He's got a he's got a modern take on a classic style. Let me put it that way. But I would love to see him on some of those old like I would love to see a John uh John Byrne. I would love to see a Mike Norton Alpha Flight. I would love to see Mike Norton do like some Green Arrow or um Fantastic 4. Heck, I think they should bring back and maybe they have. I don't know. I'm not up on things, but I think they should bring back the Marvel team up and put Mike Norton on it. That's what I think. That's my two cents right there, Buster. So that's Grumble. Grumble is, a, is, is an amazingly fun book. It is not family friendly. The F word is thrown out all the time. No nudity. Haven't seen any nudity, but they they cuss often in the book. And it can get very violent and bloody, very graphic that way. But it's, man, it is, it's, if you were listening to uh, the Just Another Fanboy podcast back in the day, then you know that my big book back then was Proof by Alex Grecian and Riley Rosmo. This is my proof. That's, that's you know, that's the level that I'm putting it on. This is my big book. This is the book. Granted, I'm not reading anything else modern at this point, but there's a reason I picked this over. I, I could have started getting any book out there, but I picked this one because I thought it looked amazing. All right, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Stephen or Else podcast. I can't say it enough. It means a lot. It really does to know that that you're out there listening. Otherwise, I'm just talking into the void, and I would probably do that anyway. But it means a lot to know that you're out there listening. You can email your questions and comments to stephenorelse at gmail.com. You can also leave a comment to the episode on the site. That's stephenorelse.com. You can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram by searching for at Stephen or else. I also invite you to join me at the Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Stephen or else. You can join me on my Patreon and for as little as a dollar a month, be a supporter of the show. You'll also have access to the exclusive My Other Podcast podcast that goes out every week and with rare exception is only available to my Patreon. So go on, go on out to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Or and make your pledge a dollar a month, a dollar a month. Currently, my other podcast is releasing twice, twice a week. There's a Tuesday episode, which is somewhat behind the scenes. The, okay, so I got a Tuesday and a Friday episode right now, and it, and it changes because I can't make plans because plans always change. 
But right now, the Friday episode, I talk about a single issue comic book. And the Tuesday episode is what's going on with the show, what's going on with me, and then all just the neurosis in my, because I freak out about this show a lot. Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Here's a really dumb idea I've come up with that I'm probably not going to do, but I just need to talk about it. That's what the Tuesday episode is all about. And you'll get both of those every week for a dollar a month. If I was just putting out one episode a week of my other podcast, that would be 25 cents an episode. But we're talking 12 and a half cents an episode. And they're about 15 minutes long. And I think, frankly, my opinion, I think they're pretty fun. So get on out there, dollar a month. That's all I'm asking. Now, if you still want to support the show, but you don't want to do so monetarily, that's okay. That's cool. You can still support the show by just getting out there and spreading the word. The first thing you can do is go to iTunes and leave a, uh, leave a review. Leave a review on iTunes. I need some reviews on iTunes. Beyond that, spread the word, Thunderbird. Tell everybody about the show. Bring people in. Word of mouth spreads like wildfire. Did I say fire? I felt like I said fire kind of weird. Fire? I don't know. The Stephen Else Podcast is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can find it over at comicspodcasts.com. This is a collection of comic book podcasts. When I'm out on, on places like Reddit and I hear somebody say, where can I find a good comic book podcast? Of course, it would be it would be bad manners for me to say, well, you can listen to mine. So instead, what I do is I say, go to comicspodcast.com. Comics, comics Podcast Network. You're going to have quite the selection. Choose the ones you like. The music from this episode comes from Michael Kill. Find him and his music at michaelkill.bandcamp.com. And of course, all of those links will be in the show notes. You don't have to write any of that stuff down. I've done all the work for you. Just copy and paste or clickety-click, depending on where you're at. It might be a hyperlink. It might not be. All right, so until next week, folks, I'm Steven, and this has been my podcast. Be nice to each other. Good job. <gasps>
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.